we got word from out front that someone has left their cellular device at the coffee pot area. So if you drink coffee and you're missing a cell phone, that could be you. So just make note of that. Um, we won't run up your data while it's in their care. Um, the reading today is actually quite a long one. Bill Morrow warned me that I only have time to read it and then tell you the sermon title and then I better sit down. So let's get to it. Exodus 1, starting in verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous, more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses for a pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. And then the part that Mr. Jack was talking about, chapter 2. Man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived, bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, plastered it with bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while the attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child, nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. The word of God for the people of God, and thanks be to God. I have a soft spot for this passage. Uh, it was assigned to me in preaching class 
and we, we were all given a passage and then we had to preach it to one another, which is terrifying uh, to preach to your fellow preachers uh, and then your professor, of course, because these are people who know all your tricks uh, and they actually know you outside of class. So it's, it's pretty intimidating. Um, so I, I put, started to put together the sermon um, for preaching class and uh, I came up with it and I was like, you know what? Everybody already knows who the, the baby in the basket is. Like, these are all seminarians. Like, they all, they all went to Sunday school, presumably. They're here because, you know, they know something about the Bible. There, there's no surprise in it. There's, everyone knows who the baby in the basket is. The Israelites did, too, for that matter. So what I did for my sermon, rather than tell the story that everyone already knew, is I pushed forward and I said, uh, I talked about Moses and how he killed the Egyptian taskmaster. And then I talked about uh, him at the burning bush and I described in great detail his arms raised before the, the Red Sea parts, uh, those sorts of things, uh, the golden calf, all these stories that we know about Moses. And the point of the sermon was, it's not just a baby in the basket, there's a man in the basket. It's all of, all of the future, all of the potential, all of what is to be. Moses is in the basket, and, and they all know that. They all know that. So it's the future of Israel is in the basket. Uh, and truth be told... That was the sermon I was planning on doing today, uh, because this starts off the next, I don't know, five weeks, six weeks, something like that, uh, looking at the life of Moses. A lot of those uh, stories that I just mentioned to you, we're going to be covering those stories. So this was going to sort of function as like an introduction, uh, and it was going to be man in the basket, and I was going to talk about those events that are coming up, and it was a good way to set up this series about Moses, a life lived with God, uh, meant to encourage us. Um, that God is with us in all of these things, right? Um, but something happened. I was struck, not by the second chapter, which we all know and we're familiar with, but the first chapter, that's the preamble to it. Um, you heard it read just a moment ago, and I, I was struck by this, not about the future of the man in the basket, but about the history of the nation that's in the basket. Because Moses didn't come from nowhere. He didn't grow up in a vacuum. He grew up among a people in a family that was raised in a nation that has its history in liberation and prophetic call and overcoming those who are more powerful than them. Uh, in short, he got it from somewhere. He got it from someone. Uh, one of the th- common things now, uh, we, it seems like we have to bear uh, in the theaters all the time are these superhero movies. My favorite ones are always the first one in their series. I'm, Iron Man 3, I can do without. The first Iron Man is great. And I think all these superhero films, the first one tends to be really good. And the reason for that is it describes where they come from. It's their origin story. So with Batman, you know the origin story. His parents are killed in front of him when he's a boy. He's scarred by it. And he uh, dedicates the rest of his life to becoming a crime fighter. It makes sense when you know his origin. Superman, the reason why he's like this cosmic boy scout who can do no wrong is because he was raised on a farm in Kansas in the Midwest amongst God's people, you know? And so he has, he has the American way instilled in him all throughout his life. And that's why he's, he's always good all the time. Wonder Woman, the reason why she's amazing is because she's raised by this whole nation of extremely powerful women who, who don't need anybody to help them out. And so that's why she's awesome, Right. So these origin stories, they give the character realism that they wouldn't have before because it's fantasy, right? They have superpowers, they're flying around, they're doing all kinds of stuff that is absolutely ridiculous. 
But because you root them in an origin story, all of a sudden they feel a little more real. Because we all have an origin story. There's a reason why we are the way that we are. The quiet boy is quiet because he grew up in a broken family and spent his entire childhood trying to isolate himself from it. And so he spent a lot of time alone. The girl who reads books all of the time probably reads books because her parents read books to her all the time. There's a reason for the way that we turn out. Whether we become a criminal or a judge or a minister, which may be a mix of both, uh, there's a reason for that. There's a reason we become what we are. If you hate bullies, if you crave attention, if you have a, a fear of intimacy, uh, if you love black raspberry ice cream, that all comes from someone. It happens for a reason. Moses, the rebel, the freedom fighter, the revolutionary, the leader, he got it from someone. And according to chapter 1, he got it from a lot of someones. He got it from someone. So chapter 1, it talks about how Pharaoh is uh, plumb scared of these Hebrews who are rising up among them. They're becoming powerful, and, and many of them, and if, if their neighbor ever attacks, they're going to join up with them, and then they'll be gone, and Egypt will be nothing. So his solution is, well, let's make them slaves, so they don't have time to rise up and rebel against us. But despite all of that, despite the harsh oppression and the forced labor, they continue to grow. They, they continue to multiply and they gain strength. And it looks even worse than when he first begun. So he comes up with a new plan. It's a quiet plan. He talks to these midwives among the Hebrews and he says, anytime you see a girl, you let her live. But if you see a boy, put it aside. We're going to get rid of them. Because the males were the heirs of the family. You pass down your property through the male children. The males are also tend to be the ones who are warriors, Wonder Woman excluded. The men are the ones who are going to be doing the fighting, and they eventually grow up to become fathers who produce more warriors and heirs. So in about one generation, you're going to solve this Hebrew problem if his plan goes through. So he brings these midwives with them. By the way, did you notice that Pharaoh not named? We don't know which Pharaoh this is, but the two midwives are named, Shifra and Puah. They come before the most powerful man in Egypt, which is the superpower of the day. So they walk into the Oval Office, and they are sitting down, and, and Pharaoh uh, uh, comes to grips with them and says, why aren't you doing what I told you to do? And they make up like the best story in the world. I don't know what to tell you. These Hebrew women, they're not like Egyptian women. They're like Wonder Women, okay? We call for the midwife, and by the time we get there, they've already had the baby, and they're drinking a cup of coffee. It's amazing. I don't know what to tell you. Can't do anything about it. And they get away with it. They, are, they, they lie to Pharaoh's face. They tell him some story. Then they go off and the scriptures say that God blesses them. And they have big families of their own because they feared God and they did what was right. These two slave women who treat slave women defy the most powerful man in the world of their day. And they are blessed for it. So when the quiet plan doesn't work, Pharaoh starts a national campaign. He tells everyone in the nation. And who knows how he gets it out. He, he has bumper stickers and yard steins. And it's all about Egyptian heritage. And if we don't nip this in the bud, then these Hebrews are going to take over because they've been here for 400 years and they still won't assimilate to our Egyptian culture. They are violent they, they seem to have that in their blood, and they can't help it. Poor things. They're uncivilized. 
and they worship some weird God that we don't hear. And if we're not careful, if we leave them alone, they're going to take our country right out from under us. And so he comes up with the solution. If you see one, throw one in the river. If you see a Hebrew boy, a baby boy, toss him in the Nile. It's under this condition, it's in this circumstance that Moses is born. What a time. His mother sees that he's a fine boy and hides him away for three months, but at some point, something has to be done. So mom, note that it's mom and not dad, but mom comes up with a plan. And she gets this paper basket together and she coats it in pitch and wax, paraffin wax, and she uh, has the plan. She puts the baby in the basket and then she places it among the reeds, like, like Noah's Ark. And that's the way I pictured it in my mind uh, every time I read this story, was that she places it and it floats down the river and, and there's a lot of tension there. Is it going to sink? Is it going to float? What's going to happen? But that's not what it says in the scriptures. It says that she placed it among the reeds, that's in, chapter, that's in verse 3, and then in verse 5, two verses later, what does it say? The princess comes and she sees it among the reeds. He didn't do any sailing that day. He was placed purposefully. And I picture mom adjusting it and making sure that you could see it from that angle because she knows this is where the princess takes her bath. I imagine her trimming back some of the reeds so that it wasn't completely hidden. Uh, you know, and angling the light, make sure the light's hitting it just right. All this, she plans it. She knows what she is doing. And then the princess sees it. So where do you think Moses gets it? His ability to plan for the future, to solve complex problems, to come up with these solutions, to play the game to where he gets the result that he wants. Where do you think he gets it? He gets it from his mom. He gets it from mom. And she gets it from an honest place because she's been hearing these stories all of her life about how Sarah came up with solutions, great-grandmother Sarah, and Rebecca, who followed God's call and made sure that her son was the one who was the heir, she's got a history. So does Moses. So mom sends daughter along with her to make sure the plan goes according to plan. And daughter is there waiting by the banks. And as soon as princess what's-her-face pulls the baby out of the water, sister is right there and she says, would you like me to find you a nurse for that baby? Just wild hair thought. You know, can I, can I do something for you? And the ruse is complete. Because sister was there. She was there at the right time, came forward and said something. But keep this in mind. She is a slave child. She is a Hebrew child in a time when her entire nation of people are feared, oppressed, and abused. So the fact that she came up to the princess of her oppressor and spoke to her directly, that's pretty bold. That's a pretty brave girl that we're talking about here. And this is Moses' sister. So where do you think Moses got it? His ability to walk right into the throne room of the most powerful man in the room, in the world, and demand something from Pharaoh. Where do you think he learned it? He got it from sister, of course. The one who told him stories about Leah, who was there with Jacob through everything, who told him about Abraham and Sarah, who put their bodies at risk by going off the known map and out into the wilderness where God called them. They placed their bodies on the line. That's where he gets it from. There's one more woman in this story, and uh, one that I think maybe tragically often is ignored. It's the princess. 
it's easy to make her the heel of this story. You know, the foolish princess who couldn't find north at sunrise with a compass in her hand, right? Oh, what's going on? Yeah, sure, okay, I'll pay his own mother. Uh, and, and so it'd be easy to make fun of her, and I feel like we often do that, like she got some trick played on her. But if you read it, she recognizes the baby. This has to be one of the Hebrews' children. She knows what's going on here. She knows the political climate of the day. She knows that her own father is the one who's running this horrible campaign to eliminate children of all things. She knows the horrible rhetoric and the policies that are going on in the country. And even so, she rescues this child. Why? Because her heart is moved. Mom's got the brains. Sister puts her body on the line. But it's this princess who has the heart, the compassion to see that there's a baby on the line here. So I used to think that this princess was the rube. But what if she knows exactly what she's doing? What if she's like Princess Leia? Because when Leia is in prison and the farm boy and the pirate are like, I don't know, what are we going to do? She grabs the gun and starts shooting fools like it's the county fair. I mean, she is amazing. She takes matters into her own hands. She's not waiting for anybody. By the way, this is an aside, but it's important to note. Uh, you will remember that Disney bought Lucasfilm. So, technically, she is a Disney princess. So whenever anyone asks you, what is the best Disney princess, the correct answer is Leia Organa, okay? Soapbox yielded. All right. What if the princess in Egypt is like that kind of princess? Because all that she would have to do in order to succeed in life is nothing. Because she's a princess of the most powerful country in the world. If she does nothing, her life is awesome for the rest of her life. She will go on being a princess. She will have privilege and power. And she will do all kinds of things. Let the people talk. Who cares? Let them have their little campaign against whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect her. The easiest thing for her to do is to turn a blind eye to it. But she doesn't. She rebels. She goes expressly against what her father ordered everybody in the country to do. And she adopts this little Hebrew boy. Against her father's wishes... She rebels because she understands that people matter. I think she knows, right from the beginning, I think she knows that this bold little girl who comes out of the corner, obviously she's related. Obviously sister is related to this little baby boy. I think she knows, yeah, that's probably mom. But she's going to pay her anyway. Uh, She's not going to use her as a slave. She's actually going to do the right thing and pay her. I think she knows that her father's campaign is evil I think she knows that she's defying the very empire that gives her all of her privilege and power. But I think she also knows that there is humanity in that basket. That there is a person there. And that whatever is happening, that comes first. Where do you think Moses gets it? The ability to confront the powerful, to ignore his own privilege... And to stick up for those who don't have a voice yet. He gets it from his stepmom. From the princess. An Egyptian princess. Moses is the promise that's in the basket. There's all the future potential of what he is going to be. And the nation that he will lead. That is all in the basket. But there's also a nation too. 
There's a legacy, a history of the weak who overcome the strong, and that is also in the basket, propelling it forward. I love this story. I really do. It is a wonderful one. Because it's got this promise about the future that, that we will become something, that, that God has potential for us. But it's also got a beautiful message that you can live up to that because of the powerful legacy that is pushing behind you and propelling you forward. That God has not left you unprepared for the task before you, but has built you up with support for what is to come. So we're here today in this ark made of pitch and bitumen and paper that's been given to us by our ancestors. Bold people like Ruth Stockburger who said, even in this new place, the Baptist way will, will continue to be. People like Walt Rule and L.H. Bishop and Betty Galloway, who continued to lead us and push us forward, this legacy that we have, this arc that we've been given, this potential, it means we can do great things. And that is because we have so many great people who have pushed behind us and led us to this point, who are propelling us on as the great cloud of witnesses, saying, keep going, don't stop, you're almost there. It's possible because of their legacy at our backs. We can overcome the powerful. We can stand up for those who are oppressed. We can love others without condition or reservation because that's the way we were taught. We got it from someone who got it from someone. We are able to see, to speak up, to stand with, and to not back down because of our great legacy that is behind us. We have been given much. We got it from someone. Maybe we got it from Moses, but he got it from someone too. We got it from our Savior who compels us into greater things. And may we have the courage to follow. Let's pray together.